We're, we're uh, continuing our series called Momentum, and right now, these gentlemen in the back have a gift for you. It is not the keys to a new car, I assure you. Uh, my name is not Oprah, so, uh, but they're giving you a gift, and you can use these for many different uh, functions. It is a fire extinguisher, squirt gun, okay? I was trying to think of different uses for this. I mean, we could... Uh, uh, maybe if you use charcoal grill, you could use it to put out the flames a little bit. Some people like, and I'm not advocating this, so if you don't like this, I'm, I'm not advocating. But some people will squirt a dog that's misbehaving with water. Okay? Like I said. This obviously is something that I want you uh, to keep if you so are inclined, but it's to be a reminder And let's talk about it for just a moment, okay? Let me tell you um, a what-if story. What if, what if there was a young girl who just loved to cook, and her mother taught her how to cook, and she just just thrived at it, and she just continued to, to cook and learn, and she would try new things, and she was just thriving at this, and then... Uh, Her parents would have a fire extinguisher right there next to the stove, but they never taught her how to use it. And this girl grows up, and she gets married, and she's still cooking, just loves to cook, loves to cook, loves to cook. She's just cooking all the time. But one day, as it would happen, there's a fire on the stove. And instead of putting the fire out quickly with a fire extinguisher, She didn't know what to do. What if she just ran out of the house and the whole house burned down? That would be tragic. She had what she needed, but she didn't know how to use it. My point today in giving you this gift as a reminder is that every one of us has a fire extinguisher. In other words, every one of us has something that we have not learned how to do. There's something that's very close to us, but we haven't yet developed the skill of being able to use it. Now, it might be a budget, a financial budget. It's kind of like, yeah, I've heard about those things, but I don't know how to do that. And it's hindering you. It might be conflict management. It's like, yeah, man, conflict, I don't know what to do with conflict. I... I run from it. Anytime there's a conflict, anytime anything rises up, man, I'm going the other direction. I've never learned how to manage conflict. Maybe it's difficulties in marriage, bringing up children, raising children. The list goes on and on. It could be ministry. You really feel like, I, I, I think I need to become more involved in ministry and in church and the outreaches or the, uh, the teaching of the church, but I, I've never developed that. I don't know what to do. So I'm just kind of sitting back and not doing anything. Every one of us has at least one fire extinguisher. Something that if we knew how to do it, it would make our life better, but we haven't learned how to do it yet. Maybe we weren't taught as a child or as an early adult, and because we haven't been taught and because we haven't taught ourselves, we are not as effective as we could be. So that fire extinguisher is there to remind you, hey, what about 
my fire extinguisher? Is there something in my life that I need to develop so that I could be a better follower of Christ, a better husband, a better leader, a better parent, a better coworker, better all around? Hey, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, as we continue our series, but we're in the book of Acts. If you'll turn to chapter number six as we continue this series throughout the book of Acts, uh, this month we're calling it uh, Momentum. God supplies us with everything we need, and yet though he has supplied us with everything we need, we must be about grabbing that supply and learning how to use it, learning how to develop it. Now, let me ask you a question before we go any further. How many of you are right-handed? Would you raise up your right hand? Great. Now, put them down. I want to ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you have ever, just for the fun of it, brushed your teeth with your left hand? Raise your left hand. Yeah, see? It's awkward, right? How many of you have brushed your teeth with your left hand? Was it awkward? No. Oh, thanks, Chad. Appreciate that. Really? <laughs> You're a lefty. Okay. I remember one time I used to, I used to have to wear a coat and tie all the time. And, you know, there's just a certain way that everybody learns how to put on a coat. And, uh, a coat. It can be different ways, but you usually do it the same way. And I just thought one day, I'm going to do it left, hand, left arm first. I, I got, like, tied up. I didn't think I was going to get out. I was, like, stuck somewhere. And I was like, I don't even know how to... I don't have to move just because I was doing it a different way. So when we try to learn how to use our fire extinguisher, there are times it's going to be arduous, it's going to be difficult, and yet God says, come on, persevere. I'm making you into who you really need to be. Without pain, there is no... When we grow, we grow because we become uncomfortable for a season, and we've got to embrace the discomfort in order to progress and get better. We've got to be uncomfortable for a little while so that we can become better. I believe 2020 is going to be a year of development for Hope Crossings. We are going to develop into a more fully rounded body of Christ that can not only minister to the needs of our own people, but also to our community. Well, let's look here in Acts chapter number 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's take a little pause, and then we'll keep reading. So we're having two different segments of Jewish people. One was a Hellenistic and one was Hebraic. And all that basically means is the Hellenistic Jews were the ones who were acclimating toward the Grecian culture. They were learning the Greek language. They were, they were trying to do business uh, with the Greeks and they were learning their languages and the way they do things. And then there was the Hebraic Jews who said, no, we're not going to do that because we shouldn't be ruled by the Greeks we should have our own autonomy. And so there was just two different divisions. They were all Jews. It was just a, a, a division. And so there was a little tension there. So it wasn't like a, a, a different nationalities. It was just a different structure of culture. But there was a group that was being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. All right, let's keep reading verse number two. So the 12, the 12 apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, 
It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and then some guys' names who I don't know how to pronounce, but I'm sure they were great guys. And then Nicholas, so we got the first two and the last one. Nicholas, we got that one, a convert from Judaism. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and then laid hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Today, I want to talk to you about the mess, and life gets messy sometimes, doesn't it? Life has ups and downs. Life has difficulties. We're in arduous situations that are uh, discomforting, and yet we find that God is right in the mess God is right with us no matter what's going on in our lives. We would love for God to clean things up. Sometimes we look at life and we go, God, why, why are all these problems? Why are all these difficulties happening? I don't understand. And if you would just show up and clean it up, then our lives would be a lot easier. We sometimes don't understand why there's such difficulty and problems. We don't want that. And so we're, we would love for God to clean it up. God, why are there widows anyway? Lord, why, why are there children born with what used to be called birth defects, now it's special needs? Why, why, are, why does that happen? God, if you would just come into this situation and clean it up. Divorce, child abuse of any level of any kind. There's all kinds of things that we would love for God to just just zip down in here and clean it up and make our world better so that our lives could be better and we could all be happy. And I want to submit to you today that God is in the mess. God is in whatever's happening on this planet because he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so God does not abstract himself from it. He doesn't pull back and say, man, y'all got to deal with that. He is so poised and ready to get right in the middle of it. He's looking for someone and listening for someone to say Jesus, to say God, to say please help. So God is in the mess that we find here on this planet. The M stands for mission. That is the mission of God, to come and to seek and to save that which is lost And the church's responsibility is the exact same. He's called us to be his hands and feet. He said, I'm calling you to be my ambassadors. And you go out in my name and you proclaim my word. And you set people free by my power. And so we are that agency here on the planet that goes into the dirty places. The church is called to go into the dirty places. To go into the messy areas. That's our mission. Jesus did not... uh, go to a palace to be born. He was born in a barn, so to speak. He didn't go to the elite people. He went to the common, everyday, ordinary people. There were those that were brought to him who had been uh, caught in adultery. 
There were those that came to him that were demon-possessed. There were those that came to him that had all types of illnesses and diseases. And he said, I've come to set you free. I've come to release you from this burden. That's Christ's mission, and that's our mission as well. God does not want uh, us to pull back from the needs and the mess. That is our mission to get involved in the mess. That's why churches should never um, be upset if there's a disturbance within the church. The Hebraic Jews, the, the Hellenistic Jews, those are not uh, just something that we ignore. That's their, those are opportunities for us to get involved. When we look at our community and we see problems, those are opportunities for us to get involved. But God is in the, also in the middle of the emphasis that he gives us to try and meet that mission. The emphasis that he gives us is the calling that he gives to a church, which means he gives to individuals. I'm thankful that uh, Hope Crossings uh, gave almost $45,000 to missions last year. Isn't that great that we're still just a missions church? We're going to continue to give to missions both here in Jackson County, in Georgia, United States, and around the world. Because Christ is coming back and there's only two kinds of people, those who are going to be with him and those who are not going to be with him. And our mission is to say, come on, don't you want to be with God? He's going to save those who call on his name. That's, that's the emphasis that he gives us. But he communicates that emphasis in different ways. With Moses, it was a burning bush. Come on, how many of you have ever thought, man, if God would just give me a burning bush, I'd know what his will was, right? You know, if he just like speak to me from a bush that burns but doesn't burn up, that'd be really cool. And I wouldn't have any doubts after that. With, uh, with Gideon, it was something much different. It was the fleece, dry, wet, all of that. He speaks to different people different ways. Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something as he's throwing something on the wheel, and it becomes marred in his hands, and he makes something different out of it. I want to show you something through the potter and through clay and through throwing these pots on a wheel. With Saul, it was uh, on the road to Damascus, and he's, he's kind of thrown off the animal that he was on, and he's blinded for three days. He couldn't see anything for three days. God emphasizes to us his calling and his direction, and he does it in various different ways. But God speaks with us in a calling and an opportunity. A calling could be something thunderous, like that's just powerful, but also could be that still small voice. Where God just comes along and just whispers in our ear, hey, this is what I want you to do. And if we're not careful, we'll say, wait a minute, I need the thunder. I, I need something drastic to happen in order for God to speak to me. Wait a minute, we can't push God into a box and say, you have to speak to me this way. Instead, we just be thankful, God, thank you that you're speaking to me. Thank you that you are emphasizing on my life the very thing that you want me to do and the direction you want me to go in. Can I submit to you an idea that I think warrants, that, that, that plays out in Scripture. Even those people who had that lightning bolt experience, God, this, you know, God telling them, this is what I want you to do, they also have doubts. They also have times when they go, man, I hope this works out. Because we're human. And that's just the way it is. So if you're having doubts today, you're in good company. You got a church full of them right here. Starting right here, we have people that have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay when you even doubt that tremendous experience that God has in your life and the still small voice. That's the test of faith that says, I am going to pursue God even though I might be a little shaky and I have a little doubts. He gives us that calling on our lives. It was a 
kind of a typical Sunday, uh, Sunday night worship service and, uh, that I was in many years ago at age 19. And I was going to be an electrician. And I had two uncles that were electricians, and that's, I said, well, that's, that's as good a job as any. My father taught me, no matter how tall they build buildings, they have to get water and electricity to the top. So if you do a plumber or electrician, you'll always have a job. So I said, well, I, that's, that, that sounds good right there, just always having a job. So I was going to be an electrician, but then God spoke to me down at the altar praying on that Sunday evening service, and he, and he changed the plans of my life because he gave me a calling and an emphasis. But God calls every one of us to do something in this life. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a whatever. You be you for the glory of God and let God speak to you about what he wants you to do. The second thing he does in emphasizing to us is give us opportunity. Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky because sometimes we're, we, we have an opportunity in front of us of ministry, and yet we're going, well, God, if you'll just tell me to do that. If, you, if you'll just send that lightning bolt and just tell, write it in the sky, put a sign, write it on stone, do something, God. If you'll do something great, then I'll know that's, that's, that's your will for my life. But sometimes God's saying, look, I put the opportunity right in front of you. What, what else? I gave it right to you. There's a guy named Bill Wilson, and uh, Bill Wilson, back in the 70s, uh, his mother had him in the car. He was driving him down the road, and he says, Bill, I want you to get out, and I want you to sit there. I'll be back. He got out, sat on the curb, and she drove off. Three days later, he was still there. There was a pastor in town that kind of noticed what was happening, kept seeing this kid, I mean a child, on the side of the road. So he stopped and said, who are you? What's going on? He said, oh, my mother's coming back. And the pastor said, son, she's not coming back. So they took this boy in. He and his wife helped raise him, brought him to church, and he got saved. And we became an adult. He went to New York City, and he wanted to do something great for God. And so he started ministering to children just like what he was. And in New York City, he began to minister to children so well and so, so passionately that his ministry grew and grew and grew. And over the years, it ended up that he was ministering to 10,000 children every Saturday. Just children. They bought a 10-story building. They had, level, they had worship services on every level. They had, they had worship services all day Saturday. 10,000. Someone interviewed him once and said, Bill... Tell us how God called you to do this. What did, did he speak to you? Did he like, what, what was it? He said, God never called me to do this. Not once. They said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're ministering to 10,000 children every Saturday, and you're telling me God didn't call you to do that? He said, God never called me to do this. I saw a need, and I met it. I saw a need, and I met it. I saw widows that weren't being ministered to appropriately, and I met the need. I saw children in my community that needed Christ, and I went to minister to them and help them. I saw the old, and I ministered to them. I saw the divorced, and I ministered to them. I saw the sick, and I ministered to them. It was an opportunity, and I just went for it. That should be the testimony of every church. We saw a need, and we went for it. So yes, it's great to have a lightning bolt experience. God spoke to me. It's great to have the still small voice. That's great. But sometimes it's just an opportunity. 
We don't need a calling all of the time. Obviously, on a much smaller scale, people ask me sometimes when I meet different people in different places, you know, how, how, how did you know that you're supposed to start Hope Crossings? I said, I didn't. God didn't call me to start Hope Crossings. I never heard God say anything. I just did it. And then it wasn't long before he started confirming that we were supposed to do this. We had been going just a short time, and we had moved out of the little living room onto a, a little house that was on that property, and we're just struggling, about 15 people. And so I got a phone call one day and, uh, from Mark Northcutt, and he said, hey, listen, there's a church over in another city. There was a church plant that, that's not going to make it, and so they're going to close down. They've got a trailer. They have padded chairs. They have a computer. They have children's church. In. Do you want that equipment? I said, Mark, i got to pray about that. Yes, I do. I do want that. It's about a two-second prayer. Just a confirmation. Then we, we started going and just growing a few at a time. And then there was a guy who was a UGA uh, football player, was going to the NFL. And we had uh, spent some time with him and kind of got to know him a little bit. And uh, he came to church one time, the only time he's ever been to Hope Crossings. And uh, after service, when the, the offering was being... Um, counted, there was a check in there for $5,000. Hope Crossings had never seen a check for $5,000. <laughs> confirmation. So it wasn't a calling, confirmation, confirmation, confirmation. When we uh, uh, were given the opportunity to come into to this place, into this building, we couldn't afford it. It was absolutely impossible for us to afford it. In the middle of that recession, uh, the, the, we, had, we had done well uh, with numbers of people and financially, but then the numbers of people were moving because of the recession, and finances were really drying up. And so we basically were just money in, money out, money in, money out. We had bills. We had uh, responsibilities. We had missionaries that we were supporting. And so this was going to double our monthly expenditures for for our facilities if we moved into this building. And we said, well, we can't afford it. We might be able to make it two months. So we talked to the men and we said, hey, what, what do you want to do? As long as we know we can't afford it, let's go for it. As long as we don't have any rose-colored glasses on, we're looking at reality, we cannot afford it, but what's the worst thing that could happen? We'd do an experiment for two months, and then we'd find another place to, to meet. Can we live with that? And we all said, yeah, we can live with that. I said, well, then let's do it. Let's do it. This would be great. It'd be a great experiment. We moved in on a, this first Sunday in December of 2009 into this building. That month, there was three times the amount of money given that month than all the previous months. $20,000 in one month. And we were like, God is in this. Man, I tell you, I slept better at night. I'm just telling you just to, just to let you know. But now fast forward a couple of months later, about four or five months later, um, Hope Crossings, with all these new expenditures, had $2,500 in our account. Well, everybody loves that first punch. Hey, man, you're moving into a new building? I'm going to write you a check. Thank you, Jesus. Bring it on. But they only give you one. Right? 
then you got to make the bills every month. But God showed us he is our source. He is our source. And he just began to confirm and confirm and confirm over and over again that he is our source. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a calling, it was an opportunity. So what opportunities do you have? Maybe you've got an opportunity, but you haven't developed it yet. It's your fire extinguisher. You're going to have to try some things. You have to try something new and different in order to get going on that. And God is saying, I'm giving you this opportunity so you'll develop something. In my make-believe story, what if that young uh, wife and love, that loved to cook, what if she just grabbed the fire extinguisher and just tried something? You know, I don't know. There's a pin here. Let's pull that out. Squeeze the handle. Hey, what if? Maybe that's sometimes what we have to do is just say, you know what, I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to go for it. I think that's what was happening with these uh, selection of these deacons. It just simply said, this is an opportunity and we're going to go for it. The last is that service. All ministry is really a matter of service. Service. There's a person for every need. There's two attitudes that are vitally important when we do service in the body of Christ. One is the attitude that says, whatever I can do. Whatever I can do, I will do. Whatever I can do, I will do. And the second attitude is, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get the job done. So that we're not just saying, well, I'm just going to kind of try this, and if it doesn't work out perfectly right away, then I'm going to quit. There's a, there's a good book I'd encourage some of you to read. It's called Beginner's Pluck. Beginner's Pluck, written by a wonderful millennial lady who's become very successful. So these are her words, and she says, the problem with many... God, are y'all tired of the M word, millennials? Are y'all tired of that? Okay. So a problem with some millennials is that they have a great dream. This is what I'm going to do. I've got a dream. I'm going, to, I want, I'm, I, that, I have a dream. I have a dream. I don't know how to get there, but I have a dream. How to get there is just one step at a time. One day at a time. What can I do today that will help me get a little closer to my dream? What can I do today that will help me get a little closer to where I believe I need to be, should be, and will be? And then we've got to have that attitude, you know, whatever it takes. If I'm going to pursue my dream, I might get knocked down. But if I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. If something happens that just flattens me, I'm going to get back up because it's whatever I can do and it's whatever it takes. That's what we're going to do. The body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ was not built on convenience. It wasn't built on, hey, if it's easy, let's do it. Hey, if it's wonderful, let's do it. If it's fun, let's do it. The church of Jesus Christ was built on the backs of of the martyrs who gave all they could and all they had for the benefit of the body of Christ. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses or you will be my martyrs for the kingdom of God. The attitude of whatever I can do and whatever it takes. Ephesians chapter 4, we've got this verse up here for you. 
This is a powerful verse. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's saying God's given this fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, for the equipping of God's people for works of service. What's really cool about Hope Crossings and, and many other churches is that we understand it is the whole body of Christ that is called to be ministers and that we need equipping. We need to learn how to use the fire extinguisher. That's the equipping of the body of Christ so that we try something. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're going to keep trying, and it's going to keep getting better and better and better. The last part is spirit qualifications for the men who were chosen to be deacons. Did you notice that? Here we've got a group of women who are not being served, a group of widows who are not being served. They're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so there's a statement there. The apostles said, all right, listen, you guys choose people to do this. Now, it's interesting to know what the apostles didn't say. What the apostles did not say was, okay, listen, listen, we got a problem. These, these widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, so here's what you guys need to do. You need to find seven men who have culinary backgrounds. You need to find seven men who, who know how to go find food, how to transport food, how to store food, how to cook food, how to serve food, and those are the guys that are going to do the best job. That's not what he said. What, was, what were the requirements? There were three things, basically, Choose seven men who are known. Choose men who are known. Now, hear me for just a moment, and those of you who have been around here for a while, you know this. Hope Crossings, and Hope Crossings, we don't speak poorly about any church. Any pastor, evangelist, apostle, teacher, we don't speak badly about anybody. If somebody's trying to serve God, we're going to encourage them and not put them down. We don't talk bad about churches, whether big churches, little churches, the church next door, the church around the world. If it's a mega church, if it's a tiny church, we don't talk bad about churches. But we also are not blind. The rise of the mega church today is in part because of excellence, but also in part because people don't want to be known. They want to slide in the door and they want to slide out. I had my religious experience, and now I'm good for another week. Don't know me. I don't want to know you. We'll shake hands, and then we're going to leave. Are you known? And do you know? In other words, have you placed yourself in a position to know and be known? That's what life groups are about. That's what ministry opportunities are about. That's what happens when we, we take a team of people and go to the schools that we're ministering to. That's ministry together. That's how we get known and we know. We cannot be known if we're isolated. If we're isolated, we'll never, be our, we'll never reach our fullest potential. It takes engagement. First off, they were known. People knew who they were. They had contact with others. The second thing is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's power. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit have a power. They also have humility, and they also have forgiveness. Qualities of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. And thirdly is wisdom. Wisdom is something that grows. Wisdom is something that you never attain all of. It's something that you grow in all the time. So these guys were, were known, and they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You see, ability will take you to great places, but the Holy Spirit and wisdom will take you to greater places. Your ability will take you so far, but the Holy Spirit can take you even further. Wisdom will take you even further than that. So use all of your talent, all of your ability, all of all the intricacies of your giftings, but that's not where it ends. The Holy Spirit takes you further. So that's why these guys, these deacons were selected because they were known, they were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Hope Crossings is getting ready to start a deacon's ministry in the next couple of months. We're excited about the opportunity for more and more people to serve, and we're excited about spreading out the responsibilities of the church so that we can reach more and more people. We're just about, if you, if you take a look around, there's, there's empty seats and we need to fill those seats. But at the same time, we can't wait until it's standing room only before we look at going to two services. So we're looking at that toward the end of this year of going to two services. But in order to do that, we've got to spread out that responsibility. The same people can't keep doing the same thing. We're going to spread out that responsibility. And I believe that Hope Crossings is filled with people who say, just give me an opportunity and I'll go for it. Is, that, is Hope Crossings filled with those kind of people? Great. So we've got to move. We've got to grow. Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Ephesians 3.20 says that we are able to do so much. God is able to do so much more than what we could ever ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. But back there to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, let's end with this verse. Verse number 7 said what? So the word of God spread. The church had a problem. The church solved the problem. The church spread out the responsibility and the ministry. And then look at the result. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Can we all say that word together rapidly? Ready? Rapidly. The word of God spread rapidly. People were coming to know Christ. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let me, let me put that in layman's terms. A great number of people who they never expected to become Christians became Christians. Wouldn't that be great if that was the shock at Hope Crossings? All these people, I never thought they'd ever get saved. They're, they're saved now. What? Wouldn't that be a great surprise every Sunday to come in here and have fellowship? Wouldn't it be a great thing every life group? Wow, I, it's like I can't even believe they're here tonight. I know them. They're not like church people. They're not like life group people. But they're here. What? And then they get saved. And then they're followers of Christ. Man, that, that would be powerfully exciting. And that's what we're called to do. Be a part of a body of Christ that's exciting, that has momentum. So as Hope Crossings continues to have momentum and builds more and more momentum, we're, we're going to be spreading out responsibilities, spreading out the opportunities to minister within the body and within our city and community. And that's an exciting time because the word of God will be proclaimed even more and the church is going to grow even more than it is now. 
Amen?